everyone, welcome to Infused Church Online. My name is Taylor, and today we're continuing our series, Uncomfortable. Isn't it true that we all want to be loved, but it isn't always that easy, and that's what we're going to talk about today, so I'm glad that you're here. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but it's uh, certainly happened to me where I've sat there and I've said, what's your name again? And it's like simple. It's like Chad or Dave. And it's like, that wasn't hard at all. And you feel really bad about it um, because, and what we've been talking about for this series is there are uncomfortable moments in our lives all the time. It's just kind of part of being uh, alive. It's part of being in relationship with one another, um, you, that you're going to go into moments um, all the time, really, and say something that you kind of felt like, oh, that just made things a little uncomfortable. Um, maybe you did something, or you didn't do something, like you forgot something. I don't know if you, that's ever happened to you, where you show up on, on a certain day at work or whatever, and you're supposed to be dressed a certain way or prepared for something, and you completely space it off, and it just makes it uncomfortable, um, or you certainly maybe at some point felt judged by someone for what you believe, you don't believe, um, you did or didn't do, and the long story short is life can sometimes feel like this graphic looks, where you just feel, maybe even though it may not be physically, but you feel as though there is a huge gap between you and everybody else, and nobody likes it, um, but sometimes it is a natural part of growth in relationships, uh, but nobody wants it, and you don't want it, and part of the reason why none of us want this, none of us strive for this, this isn't our goal in life, part of the reason that is, is because you and I, you want to be loved. Isn't that true? You want to be loved, like, I'm not trying to get all, like, soft and feely and, you know, let's just tug it out, you know, but, but kind of at your core, if you're, like, really honest with yourself, deep, deep down, a primary, a massive, in fact, motivator for the decisions that you make in your life comes from this, that you just want to be loved by the people around you. That's what you hope. Now, you may have put walls up and defenses up around that, but deep down, this is what you want. You want to be loved, despite the uncomfortable moments in life. And this is such a powerful, powerful motivator. It's held true for your whole life. I mean, if you think back for a second to your childhood, isn't it true that as a child, you wanted to be loved? Especially as a child. Like, you wanted your parents you wanted your guardian, whomever that was, that parental figure for you, um, to look at you with pride in their eyes, right? You wanted to feel supported by them. You wanted to feel encouraged by them. And now, I re recognize that's not maybe how it worked out. I mean, let's be honest, not of all of us had a great childhood, a great upbringing. But isn't it true that even in the midst of that negative upbringing, you recognize that something was missing, there's a part of you that said, I want to be loved, and I'm not getting loved. I mean, childhood growing up isn't at all as easy as we'd like to think it is. I mean, certainly as adults, we want to go back to maybe sometimes younger years, but there's challenges. I mean, middle school, hello, hormonal changes, that's just a challenge in and of itself. Bad decisions, and in the midst of that, you want to be loved and forgiven and accepted by those closest to you, especially your parents and your guardians and your family. Now, just kind of as a side in the message, it's not the main point of the message, but I just want you to think about that for a second. And ask yourself, why? Why is it that you and I so deeply wanted to be loved as a child? Were you taught to be loved? I mean, did somebody come along and say, well, do you just need to remember that you're supposed to be loved? I mean, 
Where did that come from? Why is it as early as you and I can remember, we thought to ourselves, hey, we just want to be loved by those closest to us. Why was that important? Or why was it important that we weren't getting that love? Why did we make decisions or act out or et cetera, et cetera, because we weren't love, loved by, as, as a child? Well, there might be some ideas that you have. I don't know. One suggestion is, and you may have others, and that's okay, but one suggestion is, is because that's how you were designed. As, as far as Christian beliefs go, we believe that God created us to be his children, that we were made in his image. And John, one of Jesus' followers, wrote down, and he described God as love. He said, God is love. And so it kind of stands to reason that if we were made in his image, made in God's image, that there's a part of us that wants to be love, that desires to know love, and to show love to other and share love with other people. And so I just want to suggest to you that even before you remember, part of the reason that you want to be, in fact, the main reason why you wanted to be loved is because that's how you were made by your Creator in his image. And that is such a powerful thing that even as you grew up and you and I became adults, you still wanted to be loved, even as an adult. I mean, you may play it really cool, especially guys, like we, you know, we're cool, we're good, we don't, we don't need love, we don't need that mushy stuff, but at our core, we desperately do. We want the affirmation of our teammates. We want our spouse to look at us in a loving and kind way. We want our supervisor to appreciate it. We we want our friends to acknowledge us. We want our family to get along. We want to be known for who we are and be accepted and loved as we are. The problem is, the problem is, life has had its way with us. That people around us hurt us that people around us let us down because adulthood isn't quite that simple. And your adulthood could could have started when you were still considered by all accounts a child. And over time, time after time after time, you learned that if you rely too much on other people, you will be let down and you will experience uncomfort, discomfort that is far exceeding your desire for your life. Your love, desire to be loved hasn't changed, but life has begun to change you. And in Christian circles, we we would say that just the sin of the world, and that's really what sin is, to miss the mark with God, to not love people as God would design it, that that has worked its way into our heart. And in some ways, I think you could say walled it off or, or just built some calluses around our heart. And we do that in a way to protect ourselves. But the reality, and I think this is what we have to acknowledge, is that we learned something through those experiences. And we learned to rely on me and you, not on we. That if you really wanted to be safe, if you really wanted in the most important areas of your life, if you wanted to be successful, you needed to rely on me, not we, to get it done. As a child, and we kind of talked about this last week in in different personalities and challenges in life, as a child, we kind of looked at the world like this, right? Everything was beautiful, it was shiny, the people in our life maybe, or at least we hoped that they would be, and everything was just snowflakes and glitter. But we learned over time, over time, over time, that things are a lot dirtier 
and they're not always that simple. And then we looked at ourselves one day in the mirror, and we realized we're not that simple, and we got problems, and we got messes, and, it, and it's just dirty, and we don't, it's like difficult to see in the midst of it. It's difficult to navigate through it because it's just like, where does one problem end and another begin? And then you add other people in there, the people who let you down, the people who led you wrong, the spouse that left you, the parents who left you, the parents, the people who said something, and it really like crushed you. In fact, there's already a moment in your life coming to your mind when that time when you felt crushed, and it's painful. I mean, you don't even have to like get outside your house. You just have to turn the TV on, and long enough, you sit there, and you're like, wow, the world looks a lot like this, because that's all I hear about, and it's overwhelming and scary, and so you have to learn to rely on me and not we, because that's just the only way you're going to survive, yet we still want that love. And I'm not saying you need to become a hermit. That's not what I'm advocating here. But I'm just saying, or that you have become one, I'm just saying that you have put a block between you and others. And listen, if I heard your story, some of your stories especially, because I have and I know them, um, I would probably sit there and say, hey, I, I, I don't blame you for learning this. I can't, I can't blame you for avoiding others and and leaving a good arm's length between you and other people, because it's been hard. And in all accounts, I think we got to acknowledge that this is a lot easier, that this is the easy route, because if we don't have to rely on others, it's a lot cleaner. We can just live in our own world, and we can design it how we want. We can just avoid everybody else. But And here's where at least things started to change for me, and maybe they could change for you as well. Things started to change for me when I started to get acquainted with with this guy. His name's Jesus, and I know it's kind of cliche because the pastor's going to talk about Jesus, but that's just what we do here sometimes. Um, that, That I started to learn about, I started to experience, I started to see what this guy did in his life and in people around me's lives. And the thing about this guy is he kind of got involved in the muck. And things started to change. And, and he didn't seem to be so deterred by the mess that is life. The mess that is me versus we. And if you don't believe, uh, and you don't believe in who Jesus is, maybe you just think he was a smart guy, and in which case you can just at least follow along to that extent, but you may not believe that he's the Son of God, and that's okay. Then you get an easy out. You can uh, follow along with today's message, or you can just write it all off. But if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you have to wrestle with how this guy dealt with the tension between wanting to be loved and knowing that that was the right way and the reality of life. See, we believe as Christians that God sent his one and only son, and God came in a body, essentially, and he came to save the world. Now, hypothetical question, Um, if you were God, if you were God in a body, how would you go about saving the world? If you were God in a body, now don't get like too heretical on me, okay? But if you were just God for a second, okay, how would you go about saving the world? Would you gather all your friends, your coworkers, family, and say, hey, I'm God, let's go do this? Probably not. 
because you're God. You just take care of it, right? Why would you get humans involved? You would be more of the mindset like, all me, no we. All me, no we. Why? Because we is going to mess things up. We is going to let me down. We is sinful. We is going to make mistakes. We is going to forget things. We is going to fail. And let's be honest, in pretty much most world religions, past and present, God is very much, their version of God, whose ever versions of God, is all me and no we. It's like there's God and then there's man or human or mortals or whomever that is, okay? And it was the same in Jesus' time. It was God and, and the pantheon of gods, and, and they, they had a God for this and a God for that, and, they, and the, the, the people just had to go and plead with the gods for rain or for peace or whatever it was, and that's how most world religions go. But with Jesus, Jesus, God in Abad, about the age of 30, he kicks off his ministry, and guess what he does? He invited 12 people to follow him. 12 humans, 12 messy people. He didn't pick the political people. He didn't pick the elite people. He didn't pick the wealthy people. He picked fishermen that were illiterate. He picked a tax collector, which was a big no-no, and he picked what we, what's described as a zealot, which, depending on your perspective in those days, could have been like accounted for as like a terrorist. That's Jesus's group. That's who he hangs out with. And not just like on Tuesday nights for like an hour or something, like Sunday mornings for an hour. It's like 24-7. These guys are going everywhere. Okay, they're going to the gym together. They're going to Mickey D's together. They're hanging out in the same hotel room because they're cheap, so they all just pack into one, and they make it work. I mean, they're spending every day together. And you got to kind of sit there like, Jesus, why? Like, that's going to make your life harder. If you're coming to save the world, then don't include humanity. Because as you and I have learned, the people around us will sooner or later let us down. Will sooner or later say something that hurts us. Will sooner or later give us a reason to walk away because it's just easier. And Jesus, in the midst of that, says, no, nah, I'm going I'm to get 12 guys together and they're going to follow me and then, then we're going to get like 72 more and then we're going to get some more and get some more and get some more. Yeah, but Jesus is so messy. Yeah. That's the point. What's the point, Jesus? Well, John tells us. In fact, John records, John, one of Jesus' followers, John records this intense moment between Jesus and all of his disciples. Essentially, it's like hours, give or take, away from Jesus' own execution. And Jesus is trying to, like, get out, hey, here's some more important things that you need to pay attention to, okay? And so Jesus makes this new command. And, and, and this is how John records it uh, in John chapter 13. A new command I give you, Jesus says. And, and new it wasn't really new because Jesus had talked about it before, but you could think about new as like out of there. Like, whoa, that caught me off guard. That was unusual. That was unexpected. A new command I give you, Jesus says. Here's the new command. Love one another. And not how you were taught by your parents. And not how you were taught by your guardians. And not how you were taught by your girlfriends in high school or boyfriends in college. As I, Jesus, have loved you. As Jesus loves us, that's how we are to love another. Essentially, Jesus is saying, part of the reason that I'm here, part of the reason I'm getting involved in this, and not just making everything this, is because I want to grow you. I want to teach you. 
I want to invite you to follow me so you can learn how I have loved you so that you can love one another. So that you will know, if it may not be now, as you begin to follow me, you'll eventually get there. You will learn that you are accepted by your Father in heaven. That God has come to earth. Why? Because he loves you and he wants to forgive you. That you will learn that your identity is not in the things that you have or the house that you have or the job that you have or even the success in the job that you have. That it's because you are a child of God. And that is your identity first and foremost. And that, and this is the part that I think we, even in this passage, if you understand the context and the credibleness of this passage that I think sometimes we miss, that Jesus is saying, and that you're not alone. Will it be uncomfortable? Yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable. Because you can't really have togetherness sometimes without some moments of uncomfortability. But you will be so much better when you get together with one another and love how Jesus loved you. A new command I give you, Jesus goes on. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone, how many people? All of them. Some of them know everyone. Will know that you are my disciples. How many times you go to church? Nope, not by how many times you go to church. If you love one another. How many times you pray? Nope. How you love one another. That's what defines what a Christian is. How you love one another. And so that way, when you go through life, you're not going through it alone. And that way, when you mess up, that people are going to be there to forgive you and love you in the midst of it. Yeah, but, but Jesus, you want to say, but Jesus, people have let me down. And do you want me to love the people who have let me down? Yeah, I want you to love the people who let me down. Why? Because who else was in that room? Well, at this point, I'm not even sure if he's in the room. He's probably left. Judas. Judas is in the room. The guy who's going to betray Jesus. And in the midst of Jesus, knowing Jesus is going out to betray him, here's what he says. You need to love one another as I have loved you. And I just washed that guy's feet. And he's about to turn me over and I'm about to be executed because of it. Why? Because that's what it takes to get through life. Not alone, but together. I mean, I, 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 this is just my imagination, but, but I think this is what Jesus would have said if, if you wanted to push back on Jesus' point or the disciples started pushing back on Jesus' point. Jesus would have said, guys, think about what we've been through. Think about Nathaniel. Remember Nathaniel sitting over there? Nathaniel, Nathaniel, when we first met, um, what, did, what did you say about my hometown? Nathaniel looked at him and said, uh, I, told, uh, I told him that uh, nothing good can come from Nazareth. Yeah, Nathaniel, you just bashed my hometown. And what did I do? You forgave me? Yeah, I forgave you. And we spent the last couple of years together, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. And, and you did incredible things, miracles, in fact, with me even though you just totally dissed my hometown. Yeah. And then Jesus would have looked at Peter and said, Peter, hey, you remember that one time when we were at your mother-in-law's house? And in fact, this is a picture of, of Peter's mother-in-law house. Not this. This is actually, this is, the, this is my dear friends in the Catholic Church. This is the Catholic Church that has been built above Peter's house. We're almost positive that's Peter's house. Peter's house is right there. So you can't get close, long story short, okay? Um, but anyways, you remember, you remember, Peter, when we were at your house, yeah? And your mother-in-law was there because it's your mother-in-law's house, right? And there were some stressors going on because we all deal with, you know, family dynamics like that. And who was there to help you, Peter? 
Well, you and all the guys. Yeah, me and all the guys. James and, and, and J- James and John, sons of Zebedee. You, you guys remember when your mom showed up? And they're like, oh yeah, I remember when my mom showed up. And what did your mom do? Well, our mom came in and pretty much told all the other disciples that they stunk and that we were the best and that we should have your right hand and we should sit next to you on the throne and, and that all the other disciples were worthless. Yeah, that was a little frustrating for the other disciples, wasn't it, James and John? Yeah, it was. And who forgave you? The other disciples. And I forgave you. Why? Because we love one another. And there will be uncomfortable moments. And you have a decision of what you're going to do when that comes up. And you can either walk away or you can love one another over and over and over again. And did we grow through that experience, James and and John? Yep, we grew. And in a few hours, Jesus would say, in a few hours I'm going to be dead. And you all are going to be mourning because you think I'm dead. And you're suffering. And have you ever mourned and suffered alone? not much fun. But you don't have to, because there are 10 other guys that'll be around you, supporting you, encouraging you, and loving you as I have loved you. And in a few weeks from now, I'll come back, and we'll do some things together, and then I'm, I'm heading off to heaven. But, but I'm going to leave you in charge of the church. Not a church, the church. And you're going to have to make some really big decisions and navigate some really big trials starting the church. And are you going to be alone? No. You're going to have me and one another. Why? How? How are you even going to get through all that? How are you going to get through the trials with your in-laws, if anybody's ever had some of those before? trials about, you know, just being wronged and hurt by somebody else, or going through tragedy or death or mourning in your life, or just trying to navigate the challenges of parenting or leading, guess what? You don't have to go through them alone. But the problem is, and this is where I think we we miss it a little bit, is you have to have one another to love one another. And I'm not sure that you have one another like you think you do. I don't think you have one another like you think you do. I think sometimes we assume that we have deeper relationships than what we actually have. Now, you can try to navigate life alone. You can do that. But if you really want to experience breakthrough through challenges and get the fullness of life as God has designed you to get it, you have to do it together. And if you're struggling to believe in the life that Jesus has promised, I understand that's a challenge, it's a stretch. But you got to start somewhere. And it's going to be uncomfortable because we all go into this situation of loving one another with the assumption that other people are going to let us down, muddy the water, okay? We're going to go in with the purest of intentions and they're just going to muddy it all up, okay? But, and we have to acknowledge that that's there, but yet take a step towards finding one another so that we can love one another. And I promise you, if you do that, life will be better. Because why? Life is better together. Life is better together. Together, you can be loved like you were meant to be loved. I mean, think about that. You, You would not do some of the biggest, most incredible things that humanity has ever done alone, would you? I mean, you wouldn't climb like Mount Everest alone, would you? You, you wouldn't 
walk on the moon alone, would you? I mean, no, of course not. You couldn't do that. You need a team. You need other people around you. You couldn't win a Super Bowl alone, could you? No, you need a team. You, you couldn't even run a company alone. Why? Because you need a company to run a company. You need company, people around you. That's a whole definition of a company. It's a group of people who are moving towards a goal or objective primarily to make money. And you can't do that without other people. You can't do any of that incredibleness alone. So then why is it that you and I think that some of the most important things in our lives we can do alone? Like raising and having children. Why do we think we can do that alone? It's like, well, I'm not alone, Taylor. Okay, then, then make a list of people who are daily or at least weekly pouring into you, coaching you through and navigating some of the challenges of parenting, who have been where you are and are helping you to get to where you want to go, who are praying for you and your success and the challenge of raising children. I'm guessing that's a pretty short list. And you can say, well, ta- I got this, Taylor, you know, I can, I can handle that. Well, okay, maybe, but how many kids did you parent before you had your kids? None. Listen, they don't let you drive a car without training, yet they let you raise children with like home ec in eighth grade, okay? I don't think there's a direct correlation to that. Yet we think, oh, well, we got this. Why? Because, well, we were children once. Yeah, but that does not qualify you to be great parents. So why are you going through it alone? Why do you go through the doubts of your faith alone? Why do you, why do you lead in the company or organization or school or wherever you work alone? Why do you, why do you go through marriage, just the two of you? Well, Taylor, we don't want people to know about our problems. Well, I don't know. There's a lot of speculation, but somewhere the divorce rate is between like 40 and 60 percent, okay? So in other words, other people have problems. So why go through them alone? Don't you think if you shared them and talked about them and even talked to people who've been where you are, maybe it would go better? Why would you suffer alone? Why would you mourn alone? You don't have to. Jesus didn't. Jesus' guys didn't. That's the whole point. You're supposed to do it together, and it's hard because uh, people could judge you, and it's uncomfortable, and it's hard, so just easier to avoid it. But God's like, I haven't left you. I'm there. That's why I sent my son so you could see this and you can follow him. And you got a reference, you got a North Star for how you go through your life. You need, you need one another. You need one another. This is why we have small groups. This is why we do groups. And you're like, oh, is that the whole point of the whole message? Well, yeah, you can take away the whole love part, and please do that. I mean, that's serious. That's actually really, really important. But this is why you need to join a group or start your own if we don't have a group that works for you. You need to pull out that connection card and sign up. Why? Because you're committing to go through life loving one another as God has loved us. And it will help you grow. And it will help you get through life. Yeah, but Taylor, I got, I got, I got friends. We, we hang out. Yeah. Okay. Then I just want to ask you this question, and it's kind of a little bit of a dig, but it gets at an important point. 
Just curious, when it comes to your friends or your social groups, what's the probability that those relationships, as they exist today, will change your life, your community, and the world around you? Just out of curiosity. If you took your list of friends and your connections right now, what's the probability that those relationships will change your life, your community, and the world? I'm guessing slim to none. Because they're not communities, they're not relationships that are based on Jesus' kind of love. They're, they're based on social connection and just hanging out. And they're n- that deep. And you're like, well, Taylor, I think you're being a little bit dramatic. I mean, like, our community and the world? Yeah. I don't think that's dramatic at all. What's, what's the largest world religion today? Christianity? Two plus billion people? It's Christianity. How did that start again? Let me remind you. There was 12 guys in a room one day. Their leader's about to die, and he stands up and he says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you so that you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, how you love one another. And a few weeks later, those one another's were in charge of the church. And now today, the church is massive. Billions with a B. So no, I don't think it's too dramatic to think that 12 guys in a room with Jesus loving one another could change the world. I don't think that's too dramatic. Change their community. And certainly change their lives. I just think sometimes our version of the world is just a little too small. It extends about 20 miles outside the boundaries of our home. And I think sometimes our God is just a little too small. Because what could a group of people that just get together and sing kumbaya and spend time together and love one another really accomplish? Just look at history. You tell me. Life is difficult enough alone, so why not do it together? I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to help you and challenge you to look at your life and your world as it is now and then look at it through the lens of Jesus's disciples that I hope that you are or will become. Then I want you to think about this. On March 22nd, 2015, actually it wouldn't have been the 22nd, it'd be the 29th. That was the second Sunday of Infused Church and Cafe Crema down the way. And I've said this about a dozen times. How many people were there? Twelve. It's not an exaggeration, that's how many people were there. And, and it's not like there was, like, extras, okay? Like, today, I know it will surprise you, but there are people that miss church today, okay? Nobody missed church on the second day. That was all we had. Twelve. That was our attendance. That is the maximum size we let small groups get to, give or take, here at Infuse. We started as a small group that met how often? Weekly. For how long? Well, four years so far. To grow, to explore faith, to find community, to experience life change, to celebrate steps of faith. Do you think that group of 12 people, with the help of God, has changed people's lives? 
has, if you've been coming for a while, has it changed your life? Has it impacted your community? And you tell me. I'm not going to push my answer on you. You tell me. Twelve people gathering weekly for four years. Imagine what would happen if like, I don't know, give or take a hundred people, which is approximately probably what's in this room right now, did that. Yeah, but Taylor, I'm so busy. Oh, my friends, I, I get it. I'm there. Listen, guess what you're going to say five years from now if I walk up to you and say, hey, how's life going? You're going to say, I'm busy. Because you're going to be busy. We're all going to be busy. Our lives are only getting busier. You can look at all the stats. We spend more time at work. We spend less time with our families. We spend more time in sports and athletics and extracurricular activities than our, our uh, human humanity has for, uh, for centuries preceding. You'll always be busy. This is not a matter of busy. This is a matter of priority. And you're going to have to try someday, you're going to have to make a decision that in the midst of everything, you're going to say, and I'm going to prioritize that life is better together. And not just hanging out life, I'm talking Jesus, love, community type of life. And to love one another as Jesus did. And that requires a little bit of uncomfortability. Stepping out of maybe what's easy and pretty and shiny and you can pick your friends and all that kind of stuff and stepping into uh, a community of people who maybe you don't know everybody in there and you don't know all their dirt and all their muck and it's not going to be easy and it's hard because you've learned to rely on yourself and not others, but you do just like Jesus did and you trust him and love him and love others in the midst of it and I guarantee you, you will grow and experience life like God designed you to experience. And this sounds so silly, almost like borderline dumb, but all it literally takes is you pull out a piece of paper, check the box, and say, I want to sign up for a group, or go onto our website. It's like, yeah, but all that can come from, like, a website? Yeah, in a way, it at least starts there, because life is better together. So that's my ask of you. At the very least, that you would go out and love people like Jesus loved and be known as a Christian, not by how many times you attend church, though please keep showing up, but how you love. And secondly, that you would join a group because that's how life is meant to be lived. And thirdly, be here next week because you're not going to want to miss it. I promise we're going to do something really interesting and dynamic and new and it's going to be fun. So you should be here next week, okay? All right, let me pray for you and uh, we'll sing a song get you out of here. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, thank you for these stories, the story of, uh, of Jesus in that room that John get, tells us about. Thank you for preserving it for thousands and thousands of years that we get to read it and celebrate it. And Lord, let it not just be something we sit back and say, oh wow, I didn't know that that was kind of like the defining part of Christianity, and I didn't know that that was like the commandment that we're supposed to follow, the great commandment that we're supposed to follow, that we would move beyond that. We would we would even trust beyond that and say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to not go through life alone. I'm going to go through life in community with other people, just like the early church did in the first few weeks that it began, and in the years and decades, literally, and centuries to follow, and still happens today. And that we would trust you in a way that would enable you to work in amazing ways, not just in our lives and the lives of the people we care about most, like our children and our families, 
but it would make a difference into our community and into the world because we decided to live life as you designed it, to love one another and be in community with one another and to do life together, not alone. Lord, help us to take that step of trust. Help us to follow your son, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Hey, if you're interested in joining a group, you can go to our website, infuse.church slash groups. And if you don't live on our, in our area and uh, can't join one of our groups, we'd love for you to start your own. So you can email us on our website or Facebook, and we'd love to send you all the information that we have to help you get started and be in community together, because that is my prayer for you. Life is better together. That's how God designed it and how you'll most likely succeed and grow in your life. And so get in a group if it's possible. We'll see you next week for week four of our series, Uncomfortable.